Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We are recording on Sunday at about 2.04, and I shouldn't say about 2.04, exactly 2.04, after we just got a bombshell that DeAndre Hopkins, Doug Kide, who has been on the pod before, he's the first to report it now, Diana Rossini picked it up as well, that DeAndre Hopkins is choosing the Tennessee Titans over the Patriots, which makes me very upset. And here to talk about all that is Kyrie Thompson from Radio Boston. Kyrie, I know... It's rainy out. We have bad news as it pertains to DeAndre Hopkins. But how are you, man? You know what? I'm doing all right. And you know what? In terms of of timing, the timing couldn't be better for this, for us to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. See, I, mean, I mean, come on. That, that's what you want, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy. I mean, not, I'm not happy that DeAndre Hopkins isn't coming to the Patriots, but I'm happy we get to talk about it. Yeah, no doubt. And it just it's really irritating to me, Kyrie, for a couple of reasons. Now, we kept getting the reports last week that sort of Tennessee has been more aggressive as it comes to going after DeAndre Hopkins, which it kind of reminds me back to the old Patriots, right? When they had this Tom Brady guy that was, he was a really good quarterback and guys wanted to come play with him, right? And it just feels like, at least from my angle, that the Patriots, they had a real legitimate chance to sign DeAndre Hopkins. And really, all these different things fell into place for them. Like they were really fortunate to be in this because all these contending teams, they didn't have the salary cap space to give DeAndre Hopkins a big either a long-term deal or big money in the first couple of years, right? Because if you look at it going forward here, you look at these teams and you say, well, a lot of them, the contenders have receivers or they've already allocated their money elsewhere. So DeAndre Hopkins at his age, he still has a lot of good football left, right? So he's not at the point in his career, like we see so often in the NBA, guys would join like the Golden State Warriors because they want a ring or the Heatles at the end. That's not DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins still envisions himself as a top 10 receiver in the league, which I think is... Really, he can make that argument considering when he came back from the injury, he led the NFL in receiving yards per game. So like he was really good when he came back from the injury last year or receptions per game was one of the two. But the the point being, he was really good when he came back. Bill Belichick (laughs) was talking to him before the game. So it felt like this opportunity was here for the Patriots. 
And DeAndre Hopkins shouldn't be playing for the Titans or the Patriots. He should be playing for the Chiefs. He should be playing for the Eagles, the Bengals, the Ravens, like legit bona fide contenders. But because of the financial situation, you had a chance to get him. And I just feel like this is a missed opportunity where the Patriots were doing what they always did in the past, where, hey, here's our offer. This is where we're at. If you like it, come back and sign instead of overwhelming him. Like you almost had to recruit him like a college guy, right? Offer him more than Tennessee. And based on the salary cap figures, you had way more money than Tennessee. You could have blown him over with the offer, but it just appears that the Patriots didn't want to do that. And I just feel like, hey, they have had a great offseason. Christian Gonzalez. That was an outstanding draft pick. And the way that they were able to get to 17 and pick up extra draft capital, I loved all that. But the fact that you had a chance to get a legit number one receiver and you didn't do it, that infuriates me in some sense. See, I think, and well, the things that you just outlined are exactly why I never had DeAndre Hopkins pegged for the Patriots. Never at any point. Whether it was, you're talking about back when it was trade scenarios, or whether it was signing him in free agency. Now, I will say that at least the, the reports and, and the, the interest that it sounded like he was generating from the Patriots, it seemed like there was something mutual there, though I, I think that I, w- I was thinking of it from the Bill O'Brien lens, like, are they going to be able to, to get along you know, right. from that standpoint? And it sounds like you know, they were able to you know, be in on the meeting together Right. And, and it, yeah. it, the, the fact that that happened, I'm like, you know what? That's a hurdle that I think a lot of us wondered about if they'd be able to clear. And it seems like they were going to be able to do that. But it always comes down to this. If DeAndre Hopkins wanted the most money, then he was not going to come to New England because they were never going to be the team that offered him the most money. Now, if, you know what? If, if it turns out that that was the case, that New England offered him the most money, and, you know, he was just like, I just don't want to play with Mac Jones or like, I don't want to be with Bill O'Brien, you know, uh, or whatever. If that's what comes out, then sure. OK, I, I, I will stand corrected on that. And I'll be like, OK, well, I wonder what else they could have done. But I feel like I am about ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure that there was never going to be a, a chance where New England offered him the most money. Now, what do you do with that? Do you look at it and say, and and I think the other issue with this, not that they could not have signed him, but once they extended Devontae Parker, that told me a lot because they were like, you know what? We're not going to wait around to see if we get DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to shore up a guy that we feel good about that, whether or not you feel good about his overall production or the fact that he's a number one receiver, somebody who fits well and seems to be respected in the locker room. Like We're going to go ahead and extend this guy now. I think that also told me, you know what, it's, it would be possible for them to still sign him, but that really means they're not going to push the envelope in terms of price. So the, the Patriots are just not a team that does this. They don't believe in, in getting into bidding wars for guys that, I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins probably has one or two years left of just true number one receiver game-changing sort of talent. I mean, yeah, he's not a, he's not a burner, but he's a guy that you got to account for. He's a guy that right. you circle. On, on, on the game plan. And you still don't have that if you're the New England Patriots. So I understand the frustration. It's just one of those deals of, do we believe in creating the best all-around football team or do we believe in getting you know, the, the star of stars, right? Which he's the closest guy that, that you have that, you know, that that's available out there. And we've talked about it on the podcast before where I... I am a firm believer that you need to go out and get that kind of player, especially on offense. 
especially at the receiver position. We're yeah. talking about the draft picks, and obviously that didn't end up working out. I am I am completely happy with Christian Gonzalez at number 17. You, you won't find me saying a bad word about that at all. But I, I think that this is just a matter of how they've always seen things, and they're just not the kind of team that says we need game-breaking players on, on offense and free agency or, or via trade unless they come at a bargain. You talk about Randy Moss, but Randy Moss, you got him for a fourth round pick. I mean, if you're not willing to trade a fourth round pick for Randy Moss, you're you're on drugs. You know what I mean? So <laughs> but, but I think the other thing is, you know, we talk about, you know, Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady was a the guy they drafted and developed. And I think that there's always that aspect of the New England Patriots culture where they always believe Bill Belichick specifically that we can just find another one of those guys. We can just find another Tom Brady. You know, to an extent, right? We can find another wide receiver that's going to come in and and be good for us. And they haven't really shown that to be the case, but they still believe in themselves. So they better be right. Yeah. And a couple of interesting things you hit on there. The first one to me is just like the fact that, all right, well, if it's one to two years that he's still going to give you close to elite receiver play, I would do it just because we're still trying to evaluate the quarterback and determine whether or not he's the long-term face of the organization at the most important position in sports. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, the other thing you mentioned about they were never going to pay the most money for DeAndre Hopkins, et cetera, is it's really odd to me how they handle sort of their decisions on who they pay, because it's like a couple of years ago in free agency, they paid Johnny yeah. Smith and Hunter Henry way more money than those guys would have gotten from any other team. And you think about mm -hmm. some of the guys that they've paid in the in the past, it's kind of like Nelson Aguilar. He got a huge contract from the Patriots, even though it was short term. They paid him that much money where it's like, OK, he was like one of the first free agents signed. Nobody else is offering him that type of money. So you were almost like competing against yourselves in those deals with yeah. Hunter Henry and with Jonu Smith and, of course, with Aguilar. And now this one, it's like you're competing with really one other team and you can't end up winning this recruiting battle or whatever it ends up being the reasons that DeAndre Hopkins and we'll eventually find out why Hopkins preferred Tennessee over New England. But I just felt this is a golden opportunity for the team. And the other thing I would say is this is the Patriots. I know they love to draft and develop, as you mentioned, but I feel like right now they have to have sort of an acknowledgement of the reality is this. And I know people were fighting this argument for the past five years, but we're at a point now where it is a weapons league. Look at the teams that are playing for Super Bowls, right? I mean, you go back yeah. to two years ago, it's the Rams with Cooper Cup, and they ended up trading for Odell Beckham. I know he got injured in the Super Bowl, but think about the team they played against. They drafted T. Higgins, and they drafted Jamar Chase. Look at this past one. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end of the NFL right now, and previously when they went to the Super Bowl, they had Tyreek Hill as well. And then you look at the other side of that with the Eagles. They had Devontae Smith. They went out and they got A.J. Brown. So they added... You could argue that Devontae Smith eventually becomes a number one, but they said, hey, let's go get a sure thing. And then Devontae Smith can be one of the best number two receivers in the NFL to go along with A.J. Brown. And I just feel like from a Patriots angle and all this, they don't have that guy on the roster. So that guy was out there. And I do wonder this, too. And I was talking about this last week, just in terms of these guys that made leaps in their third year. Like some of these guys, we know they're going to be great, right? Like Justin Herbert comes into the NFL. You're like, OK. That guy's going to be good. No matter who he plays with, he's got, and he's been poorly coached, I would argue, with the Chargers, but he's got a rocket of an arm. He's got incredible skills, like all that. Like the guy's super talented, right? So he was going to be good no matter what. But a lot of these other quarterbacks are dependent on the weapons around them. Even if you look at an older player, 
like Kirk Cousins. And I know everybody wants to crap on Cousins, doesn't get it done in the postseason and all that. But Justin Jefferson has really helped him, even though Justin Jefferson apparently doesn't think he's very good when he listed his top five quarterbacks the, the other day, which I thought was kind of funny. But third year, guys, think about Jalen Hurts, right? I mentioned A.J. Brown. When we think about Josh Allen, his third year, that's when they got Stephon Diggs. And it just felt like this was the best way to sort of help your young quarterback. Now, the big thing is bringing in a competent offensive coordinator because clearly they didn't have this last year. But this sort of, if they got Hopkins, I would have come on here today if the, the news was different. It was like, oh, he's choosing the Patriots over the Titans. I would have been telling you, Kyrie, this is like the perfect offseason for the Patriots. You got a corner that you're hoping is going to be a shutdown guy long term, which is something you were missing last year. You got an offensive coordinator that can actually call plays and knows actually how to incorporate play action and how to incorporate stuff in a normal offense, unlike the guy last year. And you would have gotten a bona fide, legitimate number one receiver. I just felt like it's just a big, it's a missed opportunity for the organization. And, you know, I think that this, again, doubles down on what a lot of us had been thinking about is that they believe the biggest way to improve offensively was coaching, not talent. And I mean, yeah, they went ahead and they swapped out Juju Smith-Schuster for Jacoby Myers, which on paper could be seen as an upgrade. I mean, we've got to see it on the field, obviously, but, but the traits, you could see that as an upgrade. You go ahead and you get Mike Gesicki as a red zone target, which again, one of the worst red, actually, no, not one of the worst red zone right. offense in football <laughs> last year. And, and so you're, you're looking at that and saying, okay, we can make some minor additions here, guys that can play, and then we get the, a coach that knows how to use them. And I think that was when you look at the difference between the offense in 2021 and in, in 2022, the talent was more or less the same. The, the coaching was off. The coaching was terrible, right? They, they had no identity. They had no sense of how to adjust. They had no sense of how to, how to utilize players in a modern NFL sort of scheme. And now you, you have a guy that can do that. And so I, I feel like they could say, you know what? We could go ahead and we could have, we could have Randy Moss back. But what's it going to matter if we have Matt Patricia coaching him? Now, right. I would argue that, you know, a Randy Moss offense is kind of easy. You know, Randy down there somewhere, go ahead and throw it. That's it's a, Patricia that's a proof. Yes, that, that's, <laughs> a, that, that's a special kind of circumstance. But again, I, I think that they view it that way, which is, again, somewhat frustrating because at all of the examples that you've alluded to, the examples we've kicked around on this podcast and elsewhere, ad nauseum. The fact that in the NFL today, you need game breakers. And, and people will say like, well, uh, you know, the, the, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year with Patrick Mahomes on one leg and Travis Kelsey and a bunch of dudes from LinkedIn. But it's still Travis Kelsey, right? <laughs> yeah. Travis Kelsey dictates everything. You know, he's, right. he's the, the, he is the beginning and the end of every game plan aside from Patrick Mahomes on offense. And, and so having just that dude opens up everything for your offense. Who's opening up everything on this offense? There's not one guy that's going to do that. So you're looking at it in terms of everybody's got to open things up for everyone, or, or maybe it's Ramondre Stevenson opens it up for everyone, which again, that's nice in theory, but we got to see it in practice. And, and you brought up the free agency binge from a couple of years ago. And that really was just this perfect storm, this uncharacteristic storm in which if that had been any other year that wasn't coming off of COVID, and everybody else was flush with cap space, I bet you the New England Patriots don't do what they did. It was because they were bidding. They were the one team that was going to go out there and bid. And they just, you right. know, we got tons of money. 
Let's just go ahead and throw it because everybody else is going to be scared to spend that money because we got to see how everything rebounds. And we just happen to be flush. If that was any other year, I mean, look at the next year, right? Well, they, they, weren't, they weren't as flush with cap space next year because they spent all the money. But this year, they had a decent amount. And they could have shed even more, right? But yeah. they were cautious again. And they didn't go out and spend at the top of the market again because that's not what they do. They, they exploit... They, they zig when everybody else zags. Market inefficiencies. When people are throwing crazy money at Mike McGlinchey, we're going to chill out. We're going we're gonna to do value bids on Calvin Anderson, right? But, but again, <laughs> I, I, I think that when it, when it that, that's what it says to me is that when you talk about who are they spending money on and why, so much of it depends on what, who else is bidding. It's almost like they're not bidding on the players. They're bidding on their opponents. And they're trying to, to game plan for what everyone else is doing, as well as trying to create this vision of their team, which to me is a high floor squad, not so much high ceiling. It's all about having a high floor, guys that are going to do their jobs. They're going to out execute you and you don't have to get strung up and cap hell when you've got a team like that. But again, it's all a matter of how badly do you want it? How badly do you want to compete with those top teams. Because I would argue that if you're not spending money on guys like DeAndre Hopkins, whom again, I was kind of like, eh, because he's he's a bit on the older side. I, I don't I, I don't hate not spending crazy money on him. But if you're talking about three years at like $33 million, whatever this this deal ends up being, we'll see. But if you're not spending money on guys like that or trying to get guys like that on your team, I don't think you want to win championships enough in the NFL these days. Okay, so a couple of things. So first of all, when you mentioned Travis Kelsey, it made me think that this is kind of a working theory that I have now is because they had Rob Gronkowski for so many years, He, you could argue during that time, during his prime, he was one of the top three weapons in the NFL, right? I mean, you could make an argument he was the best. We're talking about like Antonio Brown at that point, Julio Jones, the end of Megatron, Calvin Johnson, right? And the thing that the Patriots got away with, because Gronk was a tight end, he was getting paid way less against the cap than those guys, right? So yeah. it's really remarkable. Like, they had a number one option that was probably getting paid, like, the 20th best option in the NFL just because he was a tight end rather than a receiver. I guess that's kind of hyperbolic, but, like, the 15th. And, and, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And and he and he kept on signing contracts, contract yeah. extensions and staying here because he got to catch passes from Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, right? All of these things are, are intertwined. And, and ex exactly, right? If, if Rob Gronkowski had wanted badly enough, he could have been like, you know what, dog? Pay me like a wide receiver because I deserve that. And he would have gotten paid that way someplace else. But again, it's this idea that, you know what? We're going we're gonna to chill. We're going to take less money because, well, number one, we're getting endorsements like crazy. So it's like money's coming in from other places. Right. Um, but, but then on top of that, we're, we're winning. Right. And, and as long and if Tom Brady's doing it, you know, I mean, there were times where he did get paid at the top of the market at the time for quarterbacks. But it's like, as long as we're winning, we'll keep doing it. Because in the end, like you, you get to do stuff and you get to rack up stats and, and rack up a trophy case that nobody else can do. But at some point, you, your guys aren't willing to do that anymore. And, and we right. saw that with Brady. You know, we saw that with Brady. We saw that with Gronk. And, and he was willing to go ahead and take whatever veteran salary. I mean, it wasn't the vet men, but he was willing to come back and go play with Tom in Tampa Bay because that's different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it, it, exactly. But but when it when it comes to it, 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 it's this constant thing where I think Bill Belichick 
believes that as long as I have a team that is good enough, I can make up the difference. Okay. And, and my coaching staff can make up the difference. And I just feel like it keeps on being proven that that's not true. And, and I, I don't, I'm not using that as a knock against Bill Belichick, the coach. I think of it more as Bill Belichick, the general manager, yeah. that this, this is his way of, of thinking of things, his way of thinking the game. He's not going to change it at this point. And anybody who, who is like, oh, yeah, maybe once he gets closer to retirement, we'll go ahead and take a big swing. Nope. Nope. We're, we're not we're not doing that. He's going to go out the way he came in. Well, yeah. And the other component to that is with Gronk. Hey, if you don't want to play, I'm going to call you on it because you have a contract with us. We're going to trade you to Detroit. We'll see if you want to play for Detroit or you want to come back and play on the contract that you have with Tom Brady. So that's sort of how they handled the Gronk situation. Now, we do have some details. And we're up a point. I was just about to cut in with it. Go okay. ahead. Dude. So it's two for 26 worth up to 32 million with incentives. He gets a base of 12 million in year one with a chance to get 15 million. This seems, and I get it, he's on the other side of 30 now, two for 26, considering it's only a two-year contract, it seems like a pretty reasonable deal to me. And if I was the Patriots, we'll find out like the details on their side of things, but I easily would have given him that type of contract. And for DeAndre Hopkins, I think it's a win, too, because I don't think Tennessee's a very good team. I don't think Tennessee's a contending-level team. He goes there for two years, can make over $30 million. $26 million is like 12, uh, two for 26 is the deal. I think it's a good deal on his side. But, man, if I'm the Patriots, it's not like... Sometimes you can justify these where it's like, okay, that's way too much money. Like, for example, when Darrell Revis, they had the best hired gun maybe in NFL history, right? He comes here for a year in 2014, they win the Super Bowl. And then the next year, you saw the contract the Jets were offering him. Like, they were going to give him five years and north of $60 million. You're kind of like, uh, he's got an injury history. We'd love to have him for one or two years. But five years, that seems a bit too much. Like, when I look at this DeAndre Hopkins situation, I don't see anything like that. It just feels like in the two years is perfect for the quarterback, too. Because as you said, hey, maybe he has two years left of a league play. Okay, well, he's under contract for two years. See what Mac does with them, and then you can go big game hunting again for a receiver, whether it be in the draft, whether it be via trade, because that's now become a new thing where all these teams are trading away number one receivers, and it seems like the Tennessee Titans are regretting doing that because now they're signing DeAndre Hopkins when they had a younger receiver in A.J. Brown. They probably just should have signed, but man... To me, and I don't know if you disagree. Like but yeah, it's like Rand Carthens. Like that wasn't my that wasn't my mistake. Yeah, like I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get a guy. Yeah, so I mean, I I feel like that's a reasonable contract for him. Like, it's not crazy money. I mean, like I get it. The incentives he can earn a lot, but if he hits the incentives, and we don't know exactly what all the incentives are, you would be happy, right? Because that means the guy's having a monster season, most likely, right? Like I would imagine that it's like. Games played, some of them, maybe it's like top five in receiving yards or top five in receptions, like stuff, all pro bonuses, like that type of stuff, which all those type of bonuses you would like to pay because that means your team is probably in playoff contention and you probably have one of the best receivers in the NFL. That's what those incentives usually are. Yes. And my guess is that the terms of the contract are probably, I mean, in terms of years and dollars. Um, in, in the in the overall sense, might be similar, but probably weren't as willing to pay him that much up front, and that it was probably yeah. going to be a bit more incentive heavy. And I mm -hmm. mean, for, for example, you look at what they've got in twenty twenty three right now. the The New England Patriots have about seventeen million dollars in cap space now. Just because they signed DeAndre Hopkins to an app to a, a deal that's an average of thirteen million dollars a year or whatever, doesn't mean that 
you know, it, it was going to take, it was going to put the Patriots at, you know, $4 million of cap space. I mean, you kind of finagle the cap or, or what have you. So probably it would have been a lower hit. But right. I think, I think again, the, the, the thing that the Patriots seem to really like these last couple of years is maintaining a certain level of flexibility. And whether you got to main, whether you got to do that through cuts or whether you got to do that by just not signing certain guys. So you can go into the year with, I don't know, $10 million or so of cushion. And so then if you got to sign guys later, you want to make trades later, then you can do that mid season as opposed to strapping yourself and saying, okay, well, if I sign DeAndre Hopkins, that's basically it for me for the year. Don't ask me to trade for nothing. Don't ask me to sign nothing. Don't ask me to do any of that. So there, I think there's that element of it too. And I think it's also playing the odds because I'm sure that again, in, in going with that incentives point, I, I would I would love to eventually hear what the Patriots deal was. I don't know if we're ever going to know, but say say it was like uh, two years, $26 million, but instead of a base of 12, you're talking about a base of like seven. Mm -hmm. And then you're and then you got to earn the rest in incentives. If you're DeAndre Hopkins, why would you do that? Right. right? And, yep. and you, you would you would rather go get the the money that you know you're gonna have for sure. And also with it with an offense that again, Derrick Henry is getting up there in years, but the guy can still run. They also have Traylon Burks there, who's a good young receiver, and you've got a veteran quarterback, which Ryan Tannehill's not great, right? He's 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 mid. He's literally the definition of mid, but he's a veteran. You don't have these questions about, oh yeah, Mac Jones going to year three. Do we want to see what he can do? Do I want to try and catch some passes from Mac Jones or would I rather catch passes from Ryan Tannehill if they're the same caliber of player, you know, roughly, and they're going to pay me more money up front. So I, I think that there, there are a number of different calculus you know, or things to calculate that, that I would have in mind if I were DeAndre Hopkins, which... I mean, again, say that the Patriots were like, you know what, we'll go ahead and do uh, three for 33 which, and, and give you a slightly higher base than like what we gave um, like Juju or, or what we gave uh, Devontae Parker. That's still not it, right? Yeah. Aver high, higher, <laughs> higher average, you know, and, and again, more upfront, you know, 12 million base. I mean, come on. Like, I think that most likely there's going to be a scenario where you could look at the numbers and say, oh, you know, they're kind of similar. But it was going to be better in Tennessee than it was going to be in New England. Well, and remember, this is the same Patriots organization that after Tom Brady won this thing called the Super Bowl and the year prior, he won this thing called the MVP. They said, hey, we'll give you five million dollars extra in incentives where it's like you got to finish top five in passer rating yards, touchdowns and a couple of other things that were in there as well. And at that time, it's like this is the greatest quarterback of all time. You're making him sing for a supper in an incentive-based contract. Then, of course, we know what happened yeah. the next year, the the fake years, and then the void years, if you will. And then he ends up leaving in free agency. Yeah, and I so guess, like, yeah, and like, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they they if it was very incentive-based to Hopkins. To your point, yeah, and and that's the interesting thing, right? It's like you talked about, like you would think they would be happy to pay those incentives because that means that you know they're that they're doing really well. I would argue that it's almost maybe the opposite. If you're happy to have the guy and you think you're going to be good, then why don't you just go ahead and pay him the money? And, 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 it's, it, and it's one of, it's one of those deals where it's like, okay, great. Well, if we got to you know, pay the incentives because he was, he was great, you know, then, then cool. But to, to again, like you said, sing for the supper, right? You got to, got to earn your bread. It's like, this is a guy that he's a, he's a veteran in this league at that time has been the best receiver 
in football. And yeah, he's what 31 years old, but it really would strike me if I were DeAndre Hopkins, you know, if I were you know, DeAndre Hopkins agent and you come to me with an offer like that, we're basically like, yeah, well, you know, you got to, you got to, you know, do X, Y, Z things. Yeah. Maybe there's some interest there and you respect Bill Belichick, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't respect you that much. And that's why, and that's why you can never, and, and, and let this be a lesson to all of us. I mean, not so much me, cause I never bought it, but you know, just, just a lesson to everybody never sit up there. The next time Bill Belichick gives somebody a hug on the field. And it's like, man, I love you, man. You're great. You're one of the best players in the league, blah, 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 blah. And guys are like, Oh yeah, man, I love you, man. You're excellent. And, and, and all that. And, and there's this mutual bro fest, like, Oh, it's so-and-so at the Patriots. Yeah. Well, that was Bill Belichick, the coach. Well, you got to deal with Bill Belichick, the general manager, Bill Belichick, the penny pincher. Yeah. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if you got that much love for the man. Yeah. And to be clear, when I was mentioning the incentives, I meant from Tennessee's perspective, like if they have to pay 15, right. when they're yeah. paying 12, like they'd be happy to pay the 15 because that probably means hey. they're winning that division, right? That that division hey, is very competitive. Yes. 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 Tennessee would probably love that because yeah. then all of a sudden that means that DeAndre Hopkins took your team and, and, and they're in the playoffs now because he's there. Right. right. And you would and that would not be a playoff team without him. I feel like the Patriots are probably looking at it on, on the on the other side of this, where we could be like the AL East, where we could have basically all of our teams can be in playoff contention. Yeah. And we can go ahead and slip in the back door of the wild card potentially, which is that was happening at one point last year. Every right. one of the teams in, in the AFC East was in the playoffs like it, at midseason. And then it's like, okay, we just win a couple games here, a couple games there, and we're in the playoffs. And we don't need DeAndre Hopkins for that. So I, I really feel like they probably look at Bill O'Brien, what they've got on offense, and saying, this can be a playoff team. And I would argue that if you had Bill O'Brien as your offensive coordinator last year, you would have been a playoff team. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, though, for reasons we've also discussed. There's, there's, a, there's a whole Aaron Rodgers now in, in your division that you got to think about. There's now a whole... <laughs> the the dolphins are just stocking up at every position like we've got like two of the top 20 players at every position now like just a tandem yeah they remind me of like what the rams were doing a couple of years ago with how they're stacking that team i do wonder from a jets perspective that offensive line was bad last year rogers is 40 like i, I wonder if that ends up hurting them it's Christmas in July, and Santa Barkley is coming out of his summertime hiatus to give out tons of gifts to FanDuel customers. And right now, all customers have a chance to bet the rest of the MLB season on jolly old St. Chuck. Just place a $5 bet on Major League Baseball through July 18th to be entered to win. And stay tuned all week for special gifts from Santa Barkley, including profit boosts, no-sweat bets, bonus bet drops, and more. One of the things I really like about FanDuel when I'm betting Major League Baseball is the alternate strikeouts. Do it all the time. Did it the other day with Brian Bayo. So that's a really effective thing. If you think, okay, maybe five strikeouts. I'm not so sure if I like the five and a half to him to go over, but I do like five. It's a nice way, especially if you're building a parlay. So this summer, get into the holiday spirit with America's number one sports book. Don't miss your chance to bet the rest of the MLB season on Santa Barkley with FanDuel. Place your $5 MLB bet now to be entered to win. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days after receipt. 
Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. I want to get to this now because I'm fascinated by the receiver room without Hopkins, just because I think there's a lot of storylines here now, right? Because they extend Parker. You mentioned that er uh, earlier. And obviously, they give Juju the deal to come over in free agency. Then there's Thornton and then there's Bourne, right? So let's start with Bourne because, by the way, I've been seeing these social media videos from Bourne. He looks like he added some muscle. I don't know where he was. Just he was like randomly doing pull-ups. Like it looks like it was like on a hike or something. He looks big, man. He looks bigger. And so I go back to a couple of years ago and you know me, man, uh, I drive the bus, the Kendrick Bourne fan club. And so mm -hmm. if you look at it two years ago, we know the numbers 2021 20, seventh in Yak perception at 7.1, 2.7 Yak over expectation, which was third behind Debo and Jamar Chase. Those guys are pretty good at football. Passer rating when targeted, 132.1, which is fourth among receivers and tight ends. By the way, Hopkins was second that season. But anyway, he's in the past now. But he's in the final year of his contract, Kendrick Bourne. And they, as I mentioned, they've already committed to Parker. So I'm going to give you four scenarios and tell me which you think is the most likely for Bourne. So scenario one, Bourne is used more than he was in 2021, and he has an even better season than 2021. He's used basically like he was in 2021, and he has a pretty good season, just like he did in 2021. Scenario three, Bourne is used like he was in 2022, and we're aggravating he isn't, he, we're aggravated he isn't playing, just like last year we were pissed off, like, why is he not playing? Or scenario four, Bourne is traded sometime between now and the trade deadline because, I mean, he's in the final year of his contract. If he's going behind these guys, oh, I see you holding up the four. You think four? I've been, I've been on four for a minute. Wow. And yeah, and, and, and I, I think that the way that the depth chart is set up, and again, none of this is guaranteed, but you go ahead and you pay Juju Smith Schuster, who to basically be your souped up Jacoby Myers. And he's had a I, I mean, he's just got more pedigree than what Kendrick Bourne does. Devontae Parker, right now, he's your only ex receiver, so the dude's gonna play. He's gotta play. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you do offensively if he's not playing. And then Tyquan Thornton, who, again, gives you an element that this offense simply does not have, right? Now, I, I would say that there, there's a definite argument to be made that, that maybe it's more like last year, where you're, you're talking about Kendrick Bourne having to kind of fight to get into like wide receiver three mode, or you know, maybe he's wide receiver four, and you go ahead and bring him in on empty sets. But here, here are a couple of issues with that. You got Mike Gesicki, who is now here, and he's basically going to be a glorified slot receiver himself. Right. He's, he's not. He's not a tight end. He's a receiver. He's a right. giant receiver. Okay. So in the red zone, who would you rather have out there? Would you rather have Kendrick Bourne over Mike Gesicki? No, I mean that that might not necessarily be be the thing. But basically, let's think about it this way: if if we're if we've got in the red zone, who would you rather have out there? Kendrick Bourne or Mike Gesicki, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster or Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker or Kendrick Bourne, Tyquan Thornton or Kendrick Bourne. So it's like, who's Kendrick Bourne playing over? And you're not, right. and you're not taking Ramondre off the field. Ramondre's got to be on the field basically all the time. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to struggle to see where the role is for him. And, and to me, I viewed it as, you could trade Kendrick Bourne probably for like a fifth or a sixth or some kind of value there and, and recoup a little bit of draft capital. And whether you want to move around with that or you want to rake in the later rounds, 
what have you. But I, I just do get the feeling that, and you wonder also about what it was with him last year, where it seemed like he was really at odds with the coaching staff. And yeah, you could say that coaching staff's not here anymore, but if all was forgiven and forgot, then Brian Hoyer would probably still be here. Yeah. He got cut. You're paying, you're, you're paying him like a couple mil to not play for this team. Right. And so I, I feel like there's got to be an element of that where Kendrick Bourne beefing with Matt Patricia and being in the doghouse probably is not completely forgotten, I would think. And so I, I think it's more likely that he that he gets traded, that he finishes the year with the New England Patriots. Yeah. And I, I think, too, maybe just maybe I just value Kendrick Bourne a lot more than the Patriots do. Like that 2021 season, I'm like, I didn't know. I'll be honest. I didn't know much about him coming over from San Francisco. Right. Because it's not like he played a ton there because they were loaded when it comes to the, all the weapons they have, which comes back to this theme is you want to have a lot of weapons. And I thought after the 2021 season, my idea was going into 2022, like he could actually emerge as their best receiver. Like if he's given yeah. the opportunity, right? Like you look at all of the advanced numbers that I give out all the time with him, like he could actually be their best receiver. Not to say that that means he's a legitimate number one in the NFL, but he could have been the best receiver on the Patriots last year. So I just wonder if, if that's what it is, if it is just a personal thing where obviously he didn't get along with Patricia and Bill deferred to Patricia. I just felt like one of the things that sort of aggravated me about that with Bourne is if you look at Mac Jones, and I went through it, like basically all his best games in the NFL, Kendrick Bourne has had like huge games. Even if you go back to this year, look at his best games, like Bourne was really good in those games. So I just feel like maybe with Mac, and maybe you disagree with this, but I feel like the type of receiver that should work well with Mac is, and this is where I like the juju move, it's guys that are good after the catch, right, that can create, because I don't want Mac hanging around in the pocket, right? I don't want Mac trying to improvise. I want Mac to be sort of like a point guard, get the ball, and get it out quickly. And I feel like having a guy like Bourne certainly helps when it comes to that. I think Aseki will help when it comes to that as well, because he can do, well, not great after the catch, but at least he's a big target where you can throw it to him right away. I think Juju will help out. My only concern about Juju, and I continue to bang on this drum, is his best years are when he's the number two. So now you're asking him to be the number one. After Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh, Juju Smith-Schuster was not a great number one receiver. And when yeah. he goes to the Chiefs and he's like the number two option behind Kelsey, look at the year he has. So that would be my concern yeah. there. But well, I don't know. What do you think about Bourne? Do you think it's, do you think he's a like the chemistry with Mac and Bourne? Do you think the Patriots sort of maybe underrated that? I think so. I mean, I, I feel like he clearly trusted Bourne to go yeah. out and make plays. And in those games where he would like have like, two snaps or 10 snaps or whatever in the snaps he was out there, Mac Jones wanted to throw him the football because he, because he knew he would get open. I, I feel like part of the thing with that 2021, as I'm looking at it with hindsight is look at the receiver room, right? There wasn't really a bona fide number one guy. I mean, you could say there isn't a bona fide number one guy now, but I feel like there's more talent definitely in the receiving room this year than there was in 2021. And so you could kind of say, if you wanted to, that maybe that was more of a volume thing. The fact that Kendrick Bourne was, is like Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers were the only receivers who were actually worth anything. So of course they were going to go ahead and rack up numbers, but in an offense where now you do have an X receiver, is he, is he, you know, a top 10 X receiver? Probably no, but I mean, Devontae Parker is an, is an X receiver and he showed that he could go get it. I mean, that, that Baltimore game last year was that, that is, that was the ideal in, in terms of why he was there. 
and and his ability to to stretch the field, go up, jump over people, get open, you know, for for big plays, right? He's not a guy that is necessarily going to be huge after the catch, though he did he did have I think one big catch in that game where where he got loose and got down the field. But you look at him and Gasicki as the kind of downfield big body targets go ahead and post you up and they can go ahead and make a play. You got Juju and Taekwon where in theory, I mean, Juju's in practice. He's already shown that he's a big yak guy. And then Taekwon Thornton. Okay. One of these times you hit him on a drag route and he runs faster than literally everybody in the NFL probably. And <laughs> you're not, and you're, and you're not catching this man. Right. And so I, I think that there's, there are, pieces on in that room where you could say Kendrick Bourne's not as necessary as he was not that not to say that I don't think the guy's a good player because I do think he's a good player and I think he's he's shown it when given an opportunity but I I look at him kind of like Grant Williams for the Boston Celtics because I was asked about about what was going to go on with, with Grant Williams are the are the Celtics really going to miss him like it, because after they signed Porzingis to the extension and that basically said well you know Grant Williams got to get traded now right it's like or like, or like he's going to sign elsewhere he's going to be done right right and so to to me I I would answer it the same way I would say does it does it hurt your team to have him there no definitely not good player but are the Patriots going to lose sleep if they don't have Kendrick Bourne on the roster probably not but only because they have they have restocked the cupboard a little bit and and raised the overall floor of the room if you're talking about last year where it's like oh yeah go ahead and trade kendrick Bourne, yeah that would have been terrible this year i think they probably believe they could get away with it if if that's how they go ahead and see it could be wrong could be that he sticks around as the wide receiver four stays there all year i just don't know what the role would be and I feel like he would probably want to change the scenery at that point. Yeah, you know who's going to lose sleep over it? Me. Okay, that's it. Because then my take. I'm take committed to Kendrick Bourne. So I hope wherever, if he gets no, traded. I, I respect it. You know, you, you're, you're pot committed. Okay, <laughs> you, you, you got to keep throwing the chips in. I get <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, so I hope wherever he goes, he has like a monster year. And I can say, see, I told you, you should be using yep. him more. All right, so I do want to get to your guy, Tyquan Thornton. You mentioned him, the speed. Weird rookie season, of course, due to the injury, like, during the preseason when he had that game and what was against what was the second game was it against the Carolina the Giants whatever the game was you remember what I'm talking about where it's like he had some really nice plays in that game I thought okay like because we heard yeah. everything coming out of training camp and you were there was really good we know about you mentioned the speed 428 fastest among receivers two years ago at the combine but now you sort of look at this group as we're outlining with Bourne you have Parker you have Juju Smith-Schuster both of the tight ends Gasecki and Hunter Henry we know those guys are going to be involved in the receiving game as well so I'm kind of worried in some sense that he gets sort of lost in the shuffle here but what do you expect in year two I mean how much of a help do you think Bill O'Brien is to get him more opportunities than maybe Matt Patricia was ill-equipped to do last season you know what kills me is you're, you're talking about opportunities so Taekwon comes back and that Cleveland game, he has two touchdowns right off the bat. By the way, when you're talking about red zones, like who would you rather have in the red zone, Taekwon or Kendrick Bourne? Well, Taekwon showed that in the red zone, he is a problem because no <laughs> slot cornerback is running with that dude on a drag route across the field. It ain't happening. And then, and then, oh, we gave him the ball and then end around and he, and he smoked everybody. What? No way. Couldn't have seen that coming. And then they, I mean, some of it, I think, was was a bit of just rookie walling. He dropped some passes. There were a couple of things where he needs to learn how to slow down and understand spacing on the field. 
like, dude, you're really fast. So that means if you're running pell-mell towards the sideline and, and, and they throw you a pass, it means you got to get your feet down in bounds, you know, or like that means you need to learn how to turn up field. Got to, got to slow down. Um, I think that some of it though, was just a lack of creativity on the offensive coaching staff's part, not being mm-hmm. able to utilize the fastest player on the field effectively. And, <laughs> and that, and that kills me. Now I, I am not worried about Taekwon Thornton necessarily getting lost in the shuffle because again there is no skill set on this team on the offensive side of the football that approaches him and I look at Will Fuller who was drafted in 2016 by the Houston Texans who oh, yeah. profiles in a very similar way to Taekwon Thornton in terms of body size in terms of, of what they can do on the field when healthy and I and, and that was he was coached by Bill O'Brien. He goes out and immediately becomes a touchdown machine. Of course, Will Fuller just his body cannot take playing professional football. That's yeah. another thing. I don't think that we're there with Tyquan Thornton just yet. But I I think that Bill O'Brien is going to know exactly what to do with Tyquan Thornton. You are going to I mean run him down the field, yeah, sure. But we're also talking about deep in routes. We're we're talking about screens. Right. Go ahead and set him up with some blocking and let this man get moving. Right. Let him get north and south. I I am very excited for what Bill O'Brien is going to do with Taekwon because look, you drafted him in the second round with the idea that he his speed in particular gave him more upside than other guys who were more complete wide receivers at the time or had more ex receiver type bodies, like an Alec Pierce, right? Or, or like, like a George Pickens, right? The, the guy was taken immediately after that in terms of wide receivers. Or Sky Moore, who was a little bit more of a project gadget player, can do a little bit of everything. But you're thinking of the fact that this guy, honestly, like that's not a four two eight. That he, he's faster than that. I've seen this brother. Like my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, um, what would you say last year when you when you were at practice? People were like laughing. At, remember we we talked I about this. La- I was laughing. Oh, because. No, I was because because he he beats guys like he beat a guy at the line of scrimmage one, and then it's like he gets striding down the field, and it looks like everybody else is walking, like like it, it looks like somebody's like you know like got those the parachutes right that the, the the track runners use on training. Right. It looks like somebody threw a parachute on every one of their backs, and it's just <laughs> like weighing them down. And Taekwon's just going, he's just going and going and going, and nobody's got a chance. And I'm just like, let me see this guy on a slant route one time, please. Like nothing makes me happier than watching fast guys outrun angles. Um, his time is going to come. I'm confident in that. Um, but I think that with, with Taekwon, he arguably could be the key to what this offense could become. I mean, Juju, Juju is right there as well, because I think that you could look at the Jacoby Myers role and say, man, Jacoby Myers could break a couple of tackles and rip off some yards after the catch, that'd be great. But I feel like even that, I don't know that that's game-changing. That is an improvement. And and again, that's the kind of receiver that you're talking about that you want for Mac Jones, a guy that you just get the ball in his hands, and then he creates yards for you. But with Taekwon, that's a guy that, in theory, it's not that just that he creates yards. He he could create touchdowns for you. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't even know, I don't need to know what the 40 times of the other guys are out there on the defense to know that you're not catching Tyquan Thornton if he starts striding it out. This guy, I, I talked to him last year, heading out of the locker room, like, like right before the last game of the season. He was like, oh yeah, man, like I was in Junior Olympics back in the day. I'm just like, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what I need to know. I, 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 don't, I don't need to know anything else. 
I don't yeah. need to know anything else in terms of speed. And you just have to be able to utilize that because I think that what I saw in training camp last year was he wasn't just a fast guy. He was a guy that he, he just fought for the football, right? He fought at the line of scrimmage to get open. And his, and his wiggle, his understanding of, of how to stem certain routes, it felt like it grew exponentially with every single practice. And if it wasn't for that injury that set him back all that time, he would have started the year at a much different point, I think, than, than, what, than what ended up happening in the year where he kind of had to struggle to get his footing. But man, like if he's able to stay healthy for a whole training camp and we see that kind of growth from him again and he's able to start the season, I think we're talking about something completely different with Tyquan Thornton. Yeah, well, and it seemed like he was, to your point, it seemed like he was on the trajectory to be a major part of the offense until unfortunately he went down with the injury. And then you get caught behind when you're a rookie and you get all these other guys playing. It's it's unfortunate that it happened that he had that injury at the beginning of the season. All right, so by the way, now I'm all back in on Taekwon Thornton after that. I'm, I'm convinced Kyrie convinced me. I, and it's another element. You don't have it. You, it. It's a great point. Like you don't, this is legit speed. This is crazy speed. You got to find a way to sort of this weaponize is Ty, This is Tyreek Hill speed. It, yeah, it, I mean, let, let, let's, it. let's be honest. It, it's different, obviously, because I think that Ty, the Tyreek's also quick, which is that that's the thing. I, I, I think Taekwon is also quick, but there's a difference between quick and fast. And when you're both quick and fast, that's unfair, right? Yeah. And so I, I feel like if, if you have a guy in Taekwon Thornton that has quick feet, which he does have quick feet. And you can get him on screens and with a little bit of change in direction, a little bit of wiggle, get the ball in his hands. Um, and, and basically he can accelerate out of breaks faster than you, faster than you can move. That's so dangerous, man. It really yeah. is. Like, I, I feel like it could be so exciting if he's able to stay healthy and be on the field. And if Bill O'Brien uses him the way that I think Bill O'Brien's capable of figuring out. Yeah, well, after I stop being sad about DeAndre Hopkins, I'm going to go back and watch his highlights from Baylor. All right, hey, Kyrie, before we let you go, because I haven't talked to you on the pod since the draft with the Christian Gonzalez pick, and if you look at it, he's going to get tested right away. You look at the schedule, week one, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Then you have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Then you have Garrett Wilson, and then you have C.D. Lamb. So the reviews have all been high on Christian Gonzalez, and the combine numbers were insane. Like, oh, he's almost 6'2", 89th percentile on height. 41 and a half inches on the vert, 96 percentile, uh, the 40, 89th percentile broad jump was ridiculous to 95th percentile, which really, I mean, that really measures your explosiveness, right? So, and one of the issues, the only issues maybe he had in the collegiate level, he did have some issues with penalties, but so after those first four weeks, I'll give you another one, most likely scenario here. We're saying, oh, they got a stud. This guy's unbelievable. Look at what he's doing against these great receivers, or it's, hey, the matchups were tough. He'll be fine. Like he, he showed some signs. He's going to be really good. Or, hey, I'm kind of worried about him. Like, which one of those three is the most likely you think? Number two? Yeah, because look, cornerback, we got to keep context here. Cornerback is one of the hardest positions for a rookie to come in and immediately do a. Because think about it, right? Especially if you're a highly drafted quarterback, you are, they are not treating Christian Gonzalez like, oh, you got to go earn a starting spot. It was like Cole Strange last year when they, when they drafted him and immediately threw him right in at left guard. There was no, oh, you got to earn this. We're going to go ahead and sit you behind so-and-so. It's like, no, that dude was just in there in the starting lineup from day one, right? Back in minicamp or in, in, like, back in OTAs. Right. Christian Gonzalez has been a starting cornerback right away. Like, like just no, no, no filler. 
No, you got to fight it out with Jack Jones or Marcus Jones or Jonathan Jones or whatever Jones you got on the team that you want to go ahead and throw a cornerback. Like, no, this brother is going to start. Okay. And so that means, yeah, the expectation is going to be really high and the challenge is going to be ridiculously steep. So you know what? If he gets cooked a couple of times, I, I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily going to be worried about that. Right. I would be worried if he's in year two getting cooked. Yeah. Because in year two, you're supposed to be like, okay, the, the game is starting to slow down for me a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, look, he's just going to have a lot to learn, and particularly when you're a defensive player, right? This isn't like offense, just where, okay, you got you got to memorize a bunch of, of plays and know where you're supposed to go. I mean, that's tough in its own regard. But if you know where you're supposed to be, you have the advantage on offense. Okay, so if you've got that kind of speed and, and stuff like that, like you've got the advantage on defense. It's so much reaction. You have to, particularly if we're talking about man coverage or, or zone coverage, you have to have a certain level of experience of how to read what a, what a receiver is going to do based on their alignment, based on what they did to you last time. You got to be wary of veteran quarterbacks who can look you off and then sneak one behind you to the receiver that you didn't realize was there. I mean, the guy's just going to have to learn how to play football, professional football on the job. So honestly, if he comes out and, and dominates right away, then, then I think that is going to be cause for, oh my God, this guy might be the freaking truth. Like, yeah, like this dude that, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Sauce Gardner, right? I mean, look at that. Derek Stingley, taken by the Texans, right? Very similar kind of shutdown skill set, what have you. You didn't hear very much from Stingley, but you heard a lot about Sauce Gardner. But, in, but it's more likely that you're Derek Stingley than you're Sauce Gardner, year one. And so I would not look at it as like, well, he didn't show, like, he's not like rookie of the year. He's not, he doesn't have like eight interceptions. Like, I'm kind of out on this man, given what we were led to believe. He's got to get used to this game as long as he is okay. And as long as he shows improvement throughout the year, like for example, he gets cooked by Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in the first game. All right. Welcome to the NFL Rook. Right. But <laughs> if, if you get smashed in the second matchup and it's the same stuff happening to you, then, then I might have some questions. Yeah. The thing I like too is we've seen a lot of these like Sauce Gardner is like the best example because it's you could argue he's the best corner in the NFL right now at this very moment. But we've seen it lately. Like Patrick Sertain came in, he's been really good. You could argue Denver maybe should have taken a quarterback, but he's been really good. So these corners that have played at elite level at the collegiate level, a lot of them are coming in and being very impactful early. All right, that is Kyrie Thompson from Radio Boston. Kyrie, thanks so much for the time. I wish we had better news than DeAndre Hopkins going elsewhere, but it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, no, it's always fun talking with you, man. Um, you know, so I, I look forward to the next time. And you know what? Hopefully, you know, the, the training camp reports or that Taekwon Thornton is destroying everything and everyone. And we get to talk about that as opposed to what the wide receiver room is missing. I, I hope so. But, you know, I got my questions as well. I know you do, too. So we'll see what's up. All right. Great stuff, Kyrie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. 
Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from my buddy Kyrie Thompson. Man, I'm upset. I'm in pain. I really had convinced myself that DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know why, maybe I'm just an idiot for thinking it, but I had convinced myself that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be on the Patriots. Unfortunately, he's not. It's not good for a bunch of different reasons that we chatted with with Kyrie. But I do want to get into the Celtics because obviously there's a lot going on this offseason with this team. So I wanted to give you five Celts-related thoughts, some positive, some that I'm worried about. So let's start with number one. Let's start with a positive. Jordan Walsh is going to be part of the rotation this year, and I believe he's going to get playoff minutes, okay? And I know you say, Brian, you're crazy. It's summer league, right? So the concern with him coming out of Arkansas was the shooting, okay? So at the collegiate level, we mentioned this when the Celts drafted him, 27.8% from deep. And if you look at what he did in the summer league, 11 of 27 from deep, that's 40.7%. That's really good numbers, right? So now look, it's a tiny sample size. It's just 27 attempts. But if he went three for 27, we would be hearing, see, this is why he dropped to the second round. He can't shoot, right? So when a guy shoots the ball well at the summer league level, you at least have to give him credit, right? And if you watch the summer league, any of the games, even you can go on social media if you want to just watch some of the clips. He jumps off the screen with both his effort and his athleticism. Like he had a play in the game yesterday where he drove and he had a no look left handed pass to for an easy opportunity for a layup like stuff that you don't see from a lot of rookies. That was really impressive to me. Like I didn't know he had that in his game. Right. So if you can hit threes at an even league average level, if you're Jordan Walsh, 36 percent. He's going to get playing time based on the fact that the defense is really good already and with everything else he brings to the table, right? And another thing that benefits him entering his rookie season is the wing line after Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They're really short there still. Yes, they did sign O'Shea Brissett, but this is a guy that's a career 7.4 points per game, 34.4% from deep. This past season, he shot 31% from three-point territory, and 38.6% from the floor. Okay, so he's not a good shooter. Brissett, he's a good athlete, and I actually think he's worth taking a flyer on, still relatively young. But my point with Walsh is there's a real opening for playing time and also the fact that Grant Williams is no longer part of the organization, who, of course, we know plays the four. Okay, so this also isn't like J.D. Davison last year where he wasn't ready anyway, but if you looked at it, you had Derek White, you had Marcus Smart, you had Malcolm Brogdon, and you had Pritchard, right? So there was no minutes available to him anyway. Walsh, he has a clear avenue to get minutes. And Keith Smith, who we had on the pod on Tuesday, mentioned that maybe the Celtics envision Walsh as their long-term replacement to Grant Williams, that versatile defender, right? And if you look at Grant, His rookie season, he shot 24 of 96 from three, so 25%. Second year, he goes 48 for 129, 37.2%. And remember, after that second season, I was thinking to myself, now maybe you weren't, but I was like, is the shooting real? Are we sure that 37.2% is real? Or did he just sort of have a lucky shooting season? Then what happens? Third season, 106 of 258, which is 41.1%. And the fourth season, this past season, 115 of 291, 39.5%. And this is with the injury to the hand. 
So the past two seasons, you're looking at, in terms of the postseason numbers for him from three, 53 of 129, 41.1%. So with Grant, he wasn't a great shooter coming out of Tennessee. He made himself into a great three-point shooter from the corner and as a spot-up guy, right? Like, he's never going to shoot off movement, right? He's not going to be like Clay Thompson or Ray Allen coming off screens, but he can knock down open shots. And when you're playing with star-level players, that's such an important skill, right? When you're playing with Tatum and Brown, I mean, think back to... LeBron James when he was with the Heatles, they always had these shooters, whether it be Mike Miller, whether it be Shane Battier, as we mentioned, a guy like Ray Allen, you always need these shooters around these guys who are going to be ball dominant players, right? So obviously, when you look at Walsh, the thing that sticks out to you about the jump shot, it doesn't look broken, right? Like if you look at Thibel's shot, it looks broken. I like Thibel as a player, I think he's a really good defender, but his shot's broken. Remember Michael Kidd Gilchrist? who was the number two overall pick of the draft. That shot was broken even going back to his days at Kentucky. Walsh's shot, based on watching it, it's not broken. It's just he needs to be more consistent with it, and it's a good sign that he was in summer league. So based on the way he plays, the effort level he plays with, I'm betting he's going to work on his shot endlessly this summer. It looks like he already has, quite frankly. And all you need to be able to do is hit spot-up open threes. Just don't be the guy that's like always left open where they're daring you to shoot, right? Like we saw with Tony Allen back in the day when the Warriors beat the Memphis Grizzlies, right? That's the one thing you can't have. Or Russell Westbrook, you can't have that where the inability to shoot sort of renders your offense ineffective. And Walsh is going to get that treatment early on in his career because when he gets on the court, he's going to be playing with really good shooters. I mean, you're talking about Tatum. You're talking about Derek White, whose shooting was much better last year. You're talking about the Al Horfords of the world, guys that have shot Kristaps Porzingis, guys that have shot the three really well. So he's going to have to prove he can knock that down consistently but I've been impressed with what we've seen and I expect based on the work ethic of the guy I expect that his shooting is going to get better and I've been more impressed with him as a grab and go guy too where he just gets the rebound and he takes off and I, I get it it's summer league but if he wasn't making these plays I'd be saying eh, what's going on with this Jordan Walsh guy is he really that good but you see he gets the ball so that he gets the ball rebound get down the court and ball handling is better than I thought it was. So I really, really like the pick. And if you look at it, what we're looking at when we're watching him in summer league, he looks like a man, right? And you think about it, the combine numbers were not fake. Fourth among forwards in wingspan, almost 7-2. Fifth in standing vert. Tied for third in standing reach. He's a monster from a physicality standpoint. And that jumps off the screen at you. And then you look at the profile. Consensus five-star, 25th on rivals, 20th on 24-7 sports and 11 on ESPN. So the tools are all there. And when you look at it, like a lot of young kids, he basically lost a year of development because of COVID. So when you look at him, you're making the bet on the kid, his work ethic, which I think we're already seeing that, and the player development within the organization. And we just saw the Celtics with a guy with a similar motor, right? Grant Williams had a great motor, develop in a major way by improving his shooting. But so now these teams where... You have to be so much better developing role guys because those guys, they're getting to the league sooner than they ordinarily would, right? Like ordinarily, a guy like Walsh would be in college like back in the day for three to four years. So he was close to a finished product when you got him. Obviously, guys improve, but now you have to develop the guy's shot, right? And look, Grant's clearly going to be better than Walsh this year. There's no doubt about that. And I believe Grant's going to be really good for Dallas, right? Getting a starting role, playing north of 30 minutes per game. But the one thing going forward, and we talked about this a little bit with Keith Smith, is this second apron situation in the coming years where this team is going to get really expensive to begin with. But if you just look at the contract this year, Walsh 1.1 mil against the cap, Grant 12.4. 
Next year after that, his second year, 1.9, Grant 13 mil. Walsh in the third year, 2.2 mil, Grant 13.6 mil. Walsh in the fourth year, 2.4, that's a club option, Grant at 14.3 in his fourth year. So in year two, can Jordan Walsh be 75% of the player Grant is? If so, you're getting 75% of Grant Williams at 11.1 million dollars less, which that would be an absolute bargain based on how good Grant was for this team. And I think the one other thing I'd say is what Jordan Walsh has from a skill set standpoint, it's more than what Grant Williams has. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to take anything away from Grant. He's a really good player. And you've heard me. I've defended Grant a ton this year. Where I thought he should have got more playing time. But he does a much better job handling the basketball, grab and go, that type of stuff. Like Grant, really, until this year, he struggled even driving closeouts, right? Like he didn't really have that in his arsenal. He couldn't really dribble the basketball. And you do see that skill set from Jordan Walsh a lot more than we've seen from Grant Williams. So like I said, don't get confused. I'm not saying that he's better than Grant. I'm just saying you can sort of understand the idea of bringing in a guy like Walsh. But for the long term, with Walsh, it's so important if you hit on this guy organizationally to get him at that low number based on the second apron situation. And this would really be not only a steal in the draft in terms of the player, but also financially. If you get solid wing play for that in terms of the salary cap, it that's massive. It'd be a massive win for the organization. And the other thing I love about this is second round pick, you drafted him for a specific role, right? You always want the best player, and I get that, but you look at this is a position of need and you drafted a guy with upside. I just love this from a business perspective. Hey, we need forwards. This guy has massive upside, all American at the high school level, unbelievable size. All we have to do is work on the shot and he profiles as a rotation player for the next decade or so. I love this piece of business by the Celtics and the summer league sort of highlighted that for me. I love the pick at the time. I like it even more now. Okay, my second Celtic related thought is this Grant thing is getting more interesting, right? So Adam Himmelsback had an article in the Globe and it's, I didn't know about all this information. So he said, for Williams being benched by Missoula, who had become a close friend, could have made the predicament even tougher. Last summer, Williams invited him and his wife to join him on a two-week European vacation. They biked through Madrid, Barcelona, and London, and they completed basketball workouts and just enjoyed each other's company. The Missoula family keeps a prayer board in its home, and at the start of the season, there was even a hopeful note pinned there centered on Williams and his contract situation. Grant talked about the relationship with Joe as well. The thing is, professionally, you can always have different opinions, different outlooks about yourself, about the team. But personally, the bond never changes. I'm going to be there for him and his family and his sons and if they need me. Personally, I always love him as a friend, although it may not have gone how we both expected this season. We still have a ton of respect for one another. So I'll always speak highly of him because he deserves it. He's a good man and a good coach. All right, so Adam Himmelsback did a great job outlining this relationship. These guys are legit good friends that vacation through Europe together. And the family had a prayer board in terms of Grant getting an extension. So I just kind of think this outlines sort of how the dynamic was so weird. Joe was taking a guy out of the rotation that was one of his good friends. And Grant actually admits in the piece, too, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to do so, that Grant admits he was unprofessional for two weeks. So Grant really, I do give him credit. He said all the right stuff in the article, right? But this whole situation... What this article said to me was it was as bizarre as it appeared, right? Because you have Grant upset about playing time, and then you have Marcus, who is the biggest voice in the room, 
and he had become the leader of the team, right? And so think about this. You have a guy in Missoula who was not supposed to be the head coach. And then you have Marcus, who has this huge voice. We see him running the huddles in the playoffs. So then during the regular season, in these crunch time li- in these crunch time lineups, Derek White isn't in there because they didn't want to upset Smart, right? Because Smart was sort of the leader of the team. So I had a lot of issues with the stuff Missoula did last year. We talked about those crunch time lineups. And he was clearly afraid not to rock the boat with Marcus. And not having an assistant like he does now in Sam Cassell it's a lot more difficult to do that, right? Like Cassell, I think if he was here last year, he would have certainly helped when it comes to this. So I just look at it in terms of if Smart was still here, Cassell maybe could have helped manage that dynamic. But it comes back to this. And Bill said this on his pod. The Celtics have moved on from the two guys that you would say were obstacles to Joe, right? Marcus because of the strong personality and Grant because of the weird dynamic with the playing time. So... The question with Grant and bringing him back, right? We talked about it from a financial perspective in terms of the second apron and all that going into the future when I outlined the Jordan Wall stuff. But would he be able to handle that again? And I would say no. Like Grant was not going to have another season where he's getting DNPs, right? Coach's decision DNPs. He wasn't going to be able to do that again. So Brad mentioned how difficult the situation was for Joe Mazzulla last year. And I think what we've seen with the decisions they've made They're trying to make life as easy for Joe, and that means Grant and Marcus no longer being here. And you can totally justify it, too, with Grant from a money perspective going into the future, right? So now, look, maybe the smart thing would have been better, like I said, with Cassell. But are you willing to make that bet, right? And especially if what we saw last year during the regular season when Marcus Smart really struggled defensively. Now, to his credit, he picked it up in the postseason, and I would bet that Marcus actually has a good year in Memphis, not a bad year. But let's just say the hypothetical is what we saw during the regular season, last season continues into next year, where he isn't the same player, he isn't the same level of a defender. Well, do you still have the same value for Smart? Because remember, you got two first-round draft picks for Marcus Smart. So it made sense to move on from Smart, especially after the Brogdon deal went down. And then the Grant dynamic, based on everything we know now about the relationship between Missoula and Grant, it just didn't feel like... A, financially for the future, but B, it wouldn't have worked in a second year where Grant Williams is losing out on playing time. And that's credit. You don't want a guy happy sitting around not playing, right? Okay. My third Celtics-related thought, this Jalen thing gets more bizarre by the day. Okay. So again, Adam Himmel's back all over this one at the Globe, had an article up on Friday that Jalen was going to be overseas for a Players Association event and the negotiations would be put on hold. Okay. Brad Stevens said... It's been all good discussions. We want Jalen to be here for a long time, and we've made that clear. We're looking at all sitting down when we've got time here. I probably shouldn't say anything else, but I feel optimistic. Okay. Himmelsback also mentions in the article that the holdup is likely related to incentive structure or clauses such as a fifth-year option. Okay. Like, of course, Jason Tatum got the fifth-year option. So, look, I have given you my concerns about Jalen on a Supermax, right? But it does still look like this is going to get done. The sides are just working out those final pieces. But I just feel like those two people, like if you think about this, like outside of basketball, it feels like those two people that are just going to get married because it seems like the best option between Jalen getting the Supermax and the Celtics giving him the Supermax. Hey, we've been together for a long time. We're getting older. Let's just get married, right? Because think about this. If Jalen didn't qualify for the Supermax, what's a more likely scenario this offseason? The Celtics are saying, hey, we feel good. We'll get him signed after next season. And remember, in this hypothetical, Jalen wouldn't have made the All-NBA next season, right? And you think about it, next season you have Durant, 
Kawhi, Paul George, Zion, all these guys should play more games, maybe with the exception of Kawhi, who's, of course, got injured in the postseason. But let's go with the hypothetical that he doesn't get the Supermax next year either. So there would have been, going into this year, if Jalen didn't get the Supermax last year, thinking to yourself, well, if he didn't get it last year, All-NBA, when all these forwards, Zion, Durant, Paul George, all these guys were dealing with injuries, is he going to make it next year? So there would have been a real possibility there where if you look at it, I'm not so sure that Jalen makes the All-NBA team, right? Like Tatum, if he didn't make an All-NBA team, you would be shocked. If Jalen didn't make the All-NBA team this upcoming season, would anybody be shocked? I certainly wouldn't. So I don't think the Celts would just be like after this season or going into the offseason this year said, hey, you know what? We're good. We'll sign him in free agency. I think what would have happened is if Jalen didn't qualify for the Supermax this year, I think the Celtics would have been seeing what was out there for Jalen Brown because we all know that he has been upset with the situation here going back to the Durant trade rumors, right? Because in that scenario, you cannot look at it like right now, Jalen, there's $300 million in front of Jalen in that area, right? You're not going to pass on this. But if that's not there, well, then Jalen may want to see what else is out there, right? But I think the Celtics, they would be calling up teams like the Rockets. Look at what Houston just did. They signed Van Vliet. They signed Dylan Brooks to big contracts. They're trying to be competitive now after signing Ime. We know how much Ime likes Jalen. We know how much Jalen likes Ime. So Jalen, that's certainly a place that maybe Jalen would have considered. Then you think about the Hawks. Would they have done something? And I know they extended Murray now, but they would, maybe they would have gotten involved, try to get Jalen, who of course is from the state of Georgia. Would the Raptors have looked at Jalen? They seem like they're kind of lost as an organization right now. What about the Thunder? They have a million picks. Would they have got involved? How about the Spurs, who just drafted maybe the next future star in the NBA? Would they have got involved? So I just think the teams would have convinced themselves, hey, we bring in Jalen for a year, and we can convince him to stay, especially a team like Houston, where they say, hey, we got his coach. We got his guy here. We can offer him a ton of money. Let's bring him in, right? So I think that would have been the more likely scenario this offseason if Jalen didn't get the Supermax. So look, Jalen, as Himmelsbach mentioned, he may want that fifth-year option. But what this feels like to me is Jalen and his representatives now saying like, hey, we have all the leverage, guys. They're not going into next season. The Celtics aren't without Jalen unsigned. And if the talks break off, the Celts will be the side that's blamed, first of all, publicly, or from a media perspective, fan perspective, people will be upset with the Celtics, not Jalen Brown, right? But the other component is, unless the Blazers are willing to take the risk of trading for Jalen and seeing if he's a flight risk. Like, unless they're saying, hey, will Jalen be in the main piece of a deal that works for us with Lillard? Unless that trade is actually out there, which, like I said, I don't see that. It doesn't feel like Dame wants to play for the Celtics anyway. He wants to go to Miami. But there's really no move to make if you're the Celtics, right? Like, it's going to be very difficult for you to trade him at this particular point in time. So Jalen sort of, he has all the power here. And getting that fifth-year option, I know Tatum got it. I thought that was bad business at the time. He was not going to say no to that rookie Mac extension. If you said, hey, yeah, Jason, we're not giving you the option. You think he would have said no to the rookie Max extension? No, he would have still taken the deal. So I thought that was bad at the time. And it was a bad precedent for the organization to put out there because now Jalen's asking for the same thing. And look, maybe the maybe Jalen caves and he says, OK, I don't need that. But I think it's more likely that the Celtics cave and actually give him the fifth year option. And what that does, right, is. That makes it easier for Jalen in the future to ask for a trade because with the option, he's closer to free agency. But it just feels like to me right now, the money is too good to pass up on Jalen's side. So Jalen's saying, hey, we have the fifth year option. It makes it easier for a trade. He can look at it from that perspective. And what I think here, maybe the Celtics, 
We'll look at this and say, hey, we don't want to give you the Supermax. And then Jalen can say, yeah, well, I want the Supermax or I'm not signing. And Jalen, if you look at it in terms of just the relationship with the organization, if you injected him with True Serum, I bet he'd say, hey, if all the money's same everywhere else, he'd want to be somewhere else, right? Like, it just feels like Jalen has been burned by the organization or at least has reservations about the organization because of the fact that they've put him on the trading block before. And I don't think the Celtics want to give Jalen a Supermax contract. So what has now happened between these two sides? They're kind of in the middle here where they're like, okay, well, I guess we can only offer him the Supermax. And it feels like Jalen's side is maybe even if I didn't want to be here long term, I can't pass up on $300 million. So this is where they're going to end up. And they're just going to end up with a Supermax contract whenever that happens. I really don't think the Celtics should give him the fifth year option. I don't because that gives you less leverage in terms of the trade market down the road again but we'll see if the celtics can fight that from Jalen's side because eventually you're gonna have to get this deal done all right so that just seems like a weird situation to me and if you're asking me to predict the future with Jalen brown i think eventually he does get traded i think he signs the supermax but a couple of years down the road he gets traded because it just seems like there's so much bad blood between Jalen and the organization all right number four my fourth celts related thought is Man, the guys around the league love shitting on the Celtics. Gabe Vincent was on J.J. Reddick's podcast, The Old Man and the Three, and he had this to say, quote, I obviously don't know if they were or weren't right internally, but that was kind of how I felt. He went on to say, I think last year they were better defensively when we lost to them in the East Finals. This past year, something didn't seem as right, whether it was their rotation, connectivity, whatever the case may be. I think any bit of weakness we saw, we jumped on it. Okay. So Vincent is right, and I know that Counter was during the regular season. What are you talking about? The defense isn't as good, Brian. They were second in the NBA in defensive rating this past season. I get all that, but if you look at the postseason, they played 20 games. They had a defensive rating at 120 or worse eight times. And the reason I say 120 is the worst defense in the league this season was the Spurs at 119.6. So the Celtics played worse than the league's last-ranked defense in 40% of their playoff games. That's a ridiculous number, right? If you go back to the 2022 playoff run, the Celtics had a defensive rating north of 120 once. Remember, this past postseason, eight. Last postseason, once. So in 24 games last postseason, they played worse than the league's worst defense in just 4.2% of the time compared to 40% of the time this past postseason. So the argument all season long was, hey, when you were defending the Celtics defense, it was the numbers say they're good. But it was exposed during the playoffs. They were not on a string together like they were last year. That's why you look at the different coverages and the switching scheme. Are we dropping? Are we switching? They just, when you look at it, they had this historic start offensively. And I think what happened, and part of it is, of course, I, I admit that Rob wasn't there at the beginning of the season. Maybe that was part of it. Like, Rob covered up for so many mistakes they had last year. That certainly factors into it. But you did have them at the end of the season. You did have them in the postseason. But my point was that as you built up bad habits because your offense, you felt like, hey, they can just bail you out of everything, right? So the Celtics defense, they weren't connected like they were last year. So with Miami, they were so locked in with everything they were doing. The Celtics weren't. And it hurt them, especially in that series. And the thing is, because they were so talented compared to Miami, they still had a chance to win the series. So I just look at going into next year. There has to be more accountability on the defensive end of the floor because despite the numbers being good, not being as sharp and not communicating as well, it burns you in the postseason. You can go out there. The Celtics are so talented. Like the personnel was so talented defensively. They didn't put up the effort that they did two years ago and they still finished second in the NBA. 
So I have to imagine what they thought was, hey, once we get into the postseason, we can turn it up. But the problem is they built up so many bad habits along the way, and they were lazy at times defensively. And the Celtics couldn't lean back on their defense like they did two years ago in the playoffs, where, remember, against Milwaukee, their defense was great. It was their offense that struggled at times, and they could get the necessary stops when they needed to because they were always locked in. They'd build up those habits throughout the season. This team needs to get back to building up those good habits and back to playing devastating defense. Okay, my final Celts thought is the Celtics clearly wanted to add a guard that can give them legit minutes, okay? So Gary Washburn reported from the Globe reported that they're looking at Austin Rivers. So the Wolves were not good with Rivers on the court last season. They were outscored by 6.3 points per 100. That's via cleaning the glass 26th percentile. The on-off differential, negative 9.2. That was in the 13th percentile, so not good there. He shot just 35% from deep, so below league average, 34.2% two years ago. Good news on the three-point shooting. This past season, 35 of 84 on corner threes, that's 41.7%, 62nd percentile via cleaning the glass, and then two years ago on corner threes, 50 of 104, 48.1%, that's in the 89th percentile via cleaning the glass. So the last two seasons, he's been able to hit his corner threes. That's good. So he would get way more open three-pointers, open corner threes playing with the Celtics team based on the talent, right? And based on, really, the philosophy with Missoula where they want to launch a ton of threes. So I've mentioned part of why I thought Brogdon played so well last year was he was around 26 minutes in terms of his minutes per game. His body can't hold up when he's north of 30 minutes. Remember, he played as the most games that he's played since his rookie season last year. And that's partially, I give the Celtics credit for that by keeping his minutes down. He didn't get hurt until the postseason, and it was a weird arm injury. It wasn't to a lower extremity, right? So assuming he's here, Brogdon's here, because he could always be traded too. I mean, they already did try to trade him this offseason. You want those minutes to be down. And then there's Pritchard. Only 48 games last year because of the log jam, jam rather, at the guard position. So it's tough to get into a rhythm if you're him, right? But his first two years in the league, he's north of 41% from deep both years. Now, I do think that what I like about, part of what I like about Pritchard, every time he's on the court, he feels like he pushes the pace, which I love when this team runs. And I think more minutes, he can be effective. Like if you look at his per 36 two years ago, obviously he's not playing 36 minutes, but 15.9 with five assists. So I believe he deserves a chance, certainly. And I give him credit for being in a situation now where he has an opportunity to bounce back, right? Because I felt like last year, you know, he made the comments about wanting to be traded. Now he's going to be locked in, committed to this team. We'll see what he can do. Now we know White is the best guard. Pritchard is a solid regular season guard. Obviously questions defensively when we get into the postseason, like we saw that Jimmy Butler just targeted him right away. I put that more on Missoula having him out there when Butler was on the court than I do Pritchard himself. But Brogdon is also a concern because of the health issues long-term. Now, you can always just play the one guard during the postseason at times, and I, I expect we see that a lot during the regular season as well. But during the regular season, you also want to have more options on the guard line, right? So Rivers is a guy that has played all over the place, from contenders to bad teams. And if you listen to his pod, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, Awesome teammate. Seems like an awesome guy to play with. So it's worth taking a flyer. And like I said, the corner three-point numbers, that's encouraging, even though some of the impact metrics don't love him. That's an encouraging trait that he can hit corner threes. That's a good thing, okay? The one thing I will say, though, is the Suns got Eric Gordon at the minimum. And I know he signed an offer sheet with Phoenix in the past, so maybe part of it is he just wanted to be in Phoenix, right? I mean, that certainly could be the case. Seems like a great place to live. But it's somewhat irritating that a guy like Gordon who can defend and he can defend up because he's strong, right? He's he's built like a running back. 42.3% from deep with the Clippers. 
last year after going over there. Career, he's over 37.1% from deep. This is his three-point shooting, so he can knock down threes. And the Celts are looking at Austin Rivers, and the Phoenix Suns got Eric Gordon at the minimum. Now, Phoenix can offer more playing time, obviously, than the Celtics, but man, this is an absolute steal to get this level of ring chaser, right? The Celtics are looking at... Austin Rivers is a true minimum player. At this point in his career, he's a good vet in the locker room, can play when you need him to, but he's a minimum player, right? Like, you're not going to be paying him a lot of money. But Eric Gordon's a guy that can consistently score, can shoot, can defend. He is not a minimum player. He should not be making a minimum deal, but he wanted to go to Phoenix. And it just, it, it sucks if you look at that addition compared to, say, hypothetically, this does go through and the Celtics do land Austin Rivers. This is the type of guard they're shopping for right now. Rivers scored 20 points twice all of last year. Gordon went for 23 times in just March. So he's a guy that you know can give you a spark, can give you instant offense. And it's just like, I'm looking at this Austin Rivers thing. It'd be fine. I wouldn't be upset with it. I'd, I'd kind of like the addition to the team. But it's like Phoenix gets Eric Gordon. The Celtics get Austin Rivers. I mean, and the Celtics have been to the finals last year or two years ago. And this past season, they get to game seven of the East Finals. So it's just unfortunate that one team gets Eric Gordon and this team hypothetically would get Austin Rivers. I like Rivers as a player too. Like I'm, I'm not saying that I wouldn't like the addition. I would. It's just, man. And you remember when I was going through these trade scenarios this offseason, one of the guys I was trying to trade for is Eric Gordon. Then the Clippers just end up letting him go because of a money standpoint. And that guy was just out there. Unfortunate for the Celtics. All right. As always, get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Sturdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope